want to start off by just asking you a question. Do you have a list of things in your life that you would never do? And do you have like this list? Maybe it's not like a list you've put down, but a list like in the back of your mind that you say, man, this is something I would never, ever do. Like I started creating a list. I, I would not swim with sharks is one thing I would not do. Now, I would be happy to get in one of those cages in which sharks swim around, but I have seen people who like put on the tank and then jump in the ocean and then there's like 30 sharks and they're taking pictures. Not me. Like, I would never swim with sharks. Another one that came to mind is I would never want to walk across the North or South Pole. I hate the cold and I have no desire to be on like an expedition through the tundra. and just, I mean, it's just not interesting at all. So I would say no. I would never own a pet snake. I mean, I feel like that's just inviting Satan right into your home. I mean, I no desire that they creep me out. i just not interested at all. Here's another one. This one's a little bit more random. Uh, I would never trust anyone who works at a fairground. And, and here's why. I mean, ho- hopefully none of you work at a fairground. But first of all, carnival rides, they scare me. I, I mean, you just, I don't know. You get on one and you just wonder, will I make it? Will I be able to live past this experience? And then the other option is to go and put like a dollar down on a game. You'll never win. I mean, you, you just keep throwing the ball or the dart or the hoop, and, you know, you go, the basketball's bigger than the hole. I mean, it's just, and I get a stuffed animal for this. I just feel like it's a little shady. So I, uh, I kind of question whether I would trust people from a fairground. Here's another one. I don't have it on the list. If you've been watching the news at all recently, uh, I will never take my pig into Spokane Valley in my minivan. I won't do it. I don't know if you've heard that story, but uh, some lady took a, a pig in her minivan, a 400-pound pig in her minivan, mind you, into Spokane Valley, and it broke out the window running all around. They had to tase it. That didn't work, so they ended up having to shoot it. I feel bad. I shouldn't even be laughing. Um... <laughs> But YouTube, it, it, uh, it, it takes Spokane Valley to a whole nother level. So I have this list of, you know, things that I wouldn't do. And maybe, maybe you have a list. Here's what I want you to do. I'll give you 30 seconds. Talk to someone next to you and come up with something that would be on your list if I would not do this. And then I'll get uh, feedback from several of you, okay? 30 seconds. Talk to someone. Make a list. What would you not do? All right, talk to me. What are, uh, what are some things that you would not do? They would be on your list of things you would never do. Run a marathon. Run a marathon. <laughs> I know some people who just did that. Other people, it's off the list. <laughs> okay, someone else. What would you never do? <laughs> what about a camel through the desert? No, okay, no. Someone else, what would you never do? Okay, dance like David in the street. Those of you that uh, know that story, he probably derobed. And uh, yeah, so maybe you're not interested in derobing in public. That's good. 
Generally, that's a good thing. Okay? Someone else? What would you... Rocky Mountain Oysters. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyone else? Anyone else? One more? Skydive. Hey, that's another one for me. In fact, I would, I would not jump from a plane. And the reason this one came up is recently someone asked me if I'd be interested in going with them. And uh, after I got done throwing up in my mouth, I went, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to skydive. And I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of heights. I mean, if you have been to the theater downtown in the mall, I ride the escalator on the inside, okay? I mean, that's, if you've been up there, you keep going. I mean, that's, you look down, those little fake lakes down there, teeny. I mean, I'm not... That's, that's scary. But anyhow, I, um, I wouldn't skydive, but this, this girl was like, no, you can come with me. It would be great. It's, it's really easy. And I said, well, explain it to me. And like, well, they would strap someone on your back, and then you get up in the plane, and then you really don't even jump because they jump for you, and then you don't even have to pull the cord, but they pull it. And I go, yeah, but then I'm kind of afraid that I'll fall all the way to the ground, and now someone will land on top of me. I mean, th- this... This doesn't sound interesting at all to me. So it would be on my list of things that I would never do as well. Uh, I must have in some way already instilled that in my daughter, Evie. She's about two, two in September. And you know how kids like will jump to you from the top of the steps or from like the edge of the pool? Uh Uh-uh. Like she'll let me toss her in the air. She'll let me play with it. She'll let me like we'll climb up. Things we'll do, I mean, we'll go on slides, we'll do water slides, we'll do all of it, but I could be at like the first step and go, okay, jump. And she will just like reach and try to grab and like she lean out as far as she can, but she's not jumping. I mean, I think all of us at some point have this list of things we would say we would never, ever do. And uh, this morning we're starting a new series in the book of Jonah, and Jonah was a man and you know this, that had a list of things he would never do. And top on the list was Nineveh. I'm not going to do Nineveh, was his response. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Jonah. And uh, Jonah, we were starting a, a, several, a series through several books in the Minor Prophets. And uh, the goal is to try to, and we'll get to this slide here in a second, the goal is to try to uh, tackle some of the um, maybe less read passages of Scripture. Maybe you spend most of your time in the Gospels or Paul's letters. Maybe there's some times that you dig into the Old Testament, but often we kind of glance over the minor prophets. And so our goal is to look at this book that's only about 48 verses long, but in the midst of these 48 verses, you have stories of exotic locations, of this honest dialogue between God and uh, man, you have uh, threatened doom, you have violent storms, you have a fish that vomits. I mean, you've got all the makings of a bestseller. But what you also have is a book that focuses on this idea of mission, that talks about redemption, that highlights the grace and the nature and character of who God is. And so we just felt compelled to dive into this book. And we're going to approach it. Um, this morning, 
from the perspective of trying to examine in our own lives, how is it that we act similar to Jonah, at least at the initial part of the story? Uh, Jonah, um, most of you know the story, and we'll get into it here in a moment, but he has certain actions that I think, in many ways, we mirror his actions. And so this is going to be a two-part talk. The first half is really about us this morning and focused on how we respond toward God. And then next week we'll talk about God and how he responds towards us. So if you have your Bible, Jonah chapter 1, we're just looking at verses 1 through 3 this morning. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The first thing that uh, Jonah did or had it was Jonah had a Nineveh. And I think in a similar way we have Nineveh. So let me explain here in a moment. You know the, uh, the story. God commanded Jonah to go. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to that great city. I want you to declare that uh, destruction will come if repentance does not happen. And Jonah just cut and run. He was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to bail. I'm not doing it. That's on the top of my I will not do it list. And so he, he flees. He says, I, I've, this is not what I want to be a part of. I don't want to be involved in it at all. And I, I think um, his Nineveh, in essence, was this inability for him to address a group of people he did not love. A group of people that he had something against. Again, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I, I'm convinced that each of us, at some level, has a Nineveh. Each of us, at some level, has this place that if the Holy Spirit came and kind of just tapped us on the shoulder for a moment and said, hey, I, I want you to do this, or I want you to go here, or I want you to stop this, that we'd go, I, I'm not really ready to go there. I think at some level, all of us, have a Nineveh. Now, for some of us, maybe the Nineveh is really big, profound, obvious, known to other people. For others, your Nineveh is kind of small, secret, hidden. It's not known to others. It's something that you've maybe even had for a while, and you've just kind of kept it buried. For some, perhaps your Nineveh is something that you refuse to do, kind of like Jonah. You refuse to go or you refuse to follow command for others, perhaps your Nineveh is something that you won't stop doing. This morning, my goal is to ask three main questions that will help us process in what ways do our actions, attitudes, motivations mirror those of Jonah. So the first question is this, is what is your Nineveh? If all of us have a, a Nineveh at some level, what is your Nineveh? If you had to, you don't have to shout it out, but if you had to and you had to declare, this is the thing right now in my life that I'm not willing to go there. And see, your Nineveh can change. It can, it can rotate from one thing to the next thing. For some of you, it might be a refusal to forgive someone. Or a refusal to forgive yourself. You've got this guilt 
that's built up that you're just holding on to. Maybe it's that person that you always seek to avoid. Kind of see them coming and you figure out how do I get around and not have to have a conversation. Maybe it's a habitual sin or an attitude that you have continued to, to wrestle with. Or fear and worry. I know that that can be a Nineveh for people. So my question to you this morning, and I'm going to give you time here at the end to reflect uh, while we take communion, but what is your Nineveh? The second thing that Jonah did is Jonah rationalized his decisions. I think Jonah rationalized his decisions right here at the beginning of the book. And I'm going to make a couple assumptions about Jonah that aren't necessarily in the text, but based on history, based on some of the uh, background information, we might be able to assume certain things about why he ran, about why he chose to disobey. The first kind of uh, assumption that I'm coming to based on how he rationalized his decisions is this, that Jonah felt God's directives were not in his best interest. He felt like what God told him to do just wasn't in his best interest. What I mean is the Assyrians, the people of Nineveh, they, they were hated in many ways by the Israelites. They had oppressed them. They had been uh, just inflicted great suffering while they were um, under oppression. They were known for having ruthless battle tactics. They were known for treating their captives horribly. They were just considered an evil empire in many ways. And so for Jonah, he's saying, listen, I am not interested in going there. In fact, I found this online when I was Googling something. Um, This is a little letter from Jonah. Dear Nineveh, Yours truly, Jonah. I mean, that's, that's what he would have communicated if he had the choice, right? If he had the opportunity. He, there was such anger, such hatred, such frustration from the people of Israel toward the Assyrians that it would have been, I, I'm, I am not doing this. I'm not okay with this. I'm not going there. Jonah felt that way. Do you ever feel that way? That what God has asked you to do is not in your best interest? That what He's asked you to do, you're going, I am not okay with what you're calling me to do. The second thing is that Jonah felt the command made no sense. He felt like what God asked him to do made no sense whatsoever. I'll give you a couple examples of why that might be the case. First, I think Jonah was afraid that if he went in and did his prophet thing, he declared his message, he communicated certain things, that what would happen is he was afraid that, first of all, that they would repent. So he's afraid that this group of people who he would say does not deserve grace does not deserve mercy, does not deserve forgiveness. These are people that I I hate, people that our people hate. I have no desire to go in there and declare that they have the same opportunity that we do to experience love and forgiveness and grace from God. And so he was probably afraid that they would repent. A second reason he might be afraid that they would repent is could you imagine going in having them repent, then coming back to your family and saying, oh, I de- by the way, I delivered this message to our enemies, and now they are friends with God just like we are. 
I mean, that's just not good news in some ways. I mean, if, if you have had years of oppression by a group of people and now you're saying, well, hey, we're supposed to love them because God loves them. I mean, he was afraid that they would actually repent. The second thing is this. He might have been afraid that they would not repent. I mean, this is a group of people that are known for being ruthless, for known for being evil, who are willing to kill you at a moment's notice. And he walks in to the main city of this group of people, gets to the center of the city and says, let me declare destruction on this place unless you repent and bow your knee. I mean, he had to fear for his life. I mean, if they didn't take the message well, they're taking him out. They're, they're killing the prophet. They're not interested in what he had to say. It's over. I mean, that, that would be frightening. The other alternative is, he would be afraid that they would not repent and then have to walk 500 miles back home going, man, I'm a horrible prophet. The one thing that God has asked me to do, I go in and I do it and nobody responded. And here I go walking back, feeling shame that I can't, I can't win either way. If they, if they repent, it doesn't go well. If they don't repent, it doesn't go well. God, I'm not, I'm not down with what you've commanded me to do. And so I think he began to rationalize his decisions. And I realized that in my own life, I rationalize my decisions. You know, one of my favorite ones is, I say, someday. God, someday I'll do that. I mean, I know you want me to do it, and so I'll, I will get around to it. I'm confident I will. I mean, it just, but my timetable right now says that I need to bump that off a couple years couple months, a couple weeks, whatever it is, that I'm not really ready to respond right now. And he's saying, no, respond now. And I go, well, but, I mean, timing, you wouldn't want to put too much on me right now. So because you're that kind of God, if I wait a little bit, that'll be good. Another one that maybe we often use is that if I don't understand the reason for why God wants me to do something, then I probably don't need to do it. Because if it doesn't make sense to me, Certainly can't make sense to the Almighty, right? Man, we sometimes rationalize our decisions that way. Um, Or we say, hey, if I'm doing everything right on the outside, it doesn't necessarily matter what it looks like on the inside. Or I can just make the assumption that if it's right on the outside, it's probably right on the inside, too. And what we find is we begin to rationalize the choices that we make. So my second question to you is, in what ways... Are you rationalizing your lack of obedience? If God has called you to do something, or if He's asked you to stop doing something, in what ways have you begun to rationalize why you shouldn't follow through with it? The third idea, or way we sometimes mimic Jonah, is that like Jonah, we begin to believe lies. We begin to believe things that aren't true. I mean, Jonah is a prophet of God who God speaks with and declares, this is what I'm asking you to do, and this is what I I want you to carry out for me. And it says right here in the first three verses, two times, it says them. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. A little later on it says that he went to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. 
This is a man who later in the passage declares that he serves the God of heaven who created earth, the sea, and everything in it. He basically says, I serve the God who created everything that we know. And yet, moments earlier, he's declaring that he believes he could flee from the presence of the Lord. The guy that created everything, and he's going, well, I mean, I think if I head down to Tarshish, I mean, if I go in the opposite direction, I can flee from God's presence. I mean, he knows cognitively that that's not possible. He knows, being a prophet of God, that God will find him wherever he is. He knows all of that, but his actions, his attitudes, his feelings begin to tell a different story. I mean, how often do we begin to believe things that we know aren't true? We begin to convince ourselves of lies. So my third question is, what lies have you started to believe? What lies have you started to believe? Let me give you a few that I I think come up in my life or perhaps in your life as well. Here are some lies that perhaps we believe. First, that God is not really fill in the blank. What happens when we begin to feel that God isn't really whatever it is, uh, we begin to harbor our own guilt. We begin to feel like there's this need for us to earn the favor of God. That I've got to do these certain things to raise my standing before Him because God really isn't completely loving. He isn't completely forgiving. He isn't... And so we begin to to believe a lie that He isn't all that He says He is. Another one is that I think we sometimes feel that God won't meet our needs. We begin to believe this lie that, that if I give sacrificially, as He's called me to give, that He won't carry out His end of the bargain. Or that if I enter into this relationship that I know is going to be draining and time consuming, that He can't it isn't capable of refreshing me as I refresh others. In the passage that Kevin just talked about this last week. Another one is that um, God doesn't have my best interest in mind. That somehow I have to look out for myself. Somehow I have to worry about my agenda, my schedule, my hopes, my dreams, because God doesn't have a plan for me. I've got to make it for myself. Or His plan isn't necessarily as good as my plan. Maybe you've felt this one before, that God's ways are too fill-in-the-blank. Too difficult. I don't know what that blank is for you, but sometimes we feel like what He's called us to, or His ways are just not our ways. Here's a couple more. I'll just run through them quickly. The choices I make today will not fill-in-the-blank impact the future change the course of my life. This is just who I am. I can't help doing or not doing. If my circumstances were different, then it would be different. If only everything else around me changed, then I'd be happy to go toward my Nineveh. But, I mean, things have to change first. Or if they won't fulfill their end of, then I can't fulfill my end. You get the idea. I I think we begin to believe lies that aren't true. So my question to you is, what lies have you started to believe? 
This morning, what we're going to do is just take a little bit of time leading into communion here, where I just want you to consider those questions. Consider the question of, what is your Nineveh? Ask the Spirit of God to reveal. If there's one area that you're right now saying, hey, I'm, I'm not willing to go there, what is that area? Allow the Spirit of God to communicate that to you. The second idea is, in what way have you begun to rationalize why you don't need to live into that Nineveh? Why you don't need to either give it up or embrace it, engage it? And then the last one, what lies have you started to believe? I'm going to give you a few minutes here at the beginning. The, the band will probably just play music in the background. And then uh, once they start to sing, uh, we're going to ask you if you desire and want to, to take communion and to go and, and to have had some time here at the beginning to process, God, is there an area in my life right now that I am not willing to hand over to you? And if there is, Lord, I want you to begin to allow me to unleash that, to, to hand it over, to begin to, to see forgiveness, begin to find grace. And then I think, as God so clearly communicates, that we go to the communion table and we remember. We remember that His grace is sufficient. We remember that His forgiveness covers everything. And we resolve again in our hearts and minds to follow. I think that's what communion is about reminding us of those things. So let's pray.